Good morning. We're so happy you joined us for worship today to worship the one true and living God who is our Father and who is that loving Father. We're going to sing a song for you now. If you know it, feel free to join in. But if not, just sit back and worship with us.
Church family, we are so glad that you're here to worship our risen Lord and Savior with us on this Sunday morning, on this holiday weekend. We're so glad that you made it a priority to be here today to worship our Savior through song and through the message that Stuart will preach here in a little while. We are glad that you are here. If you're a guest, we'd love for you to fill out the blue communication card that's found in your worship guide. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, we want to get to know you and be able to worship with you and to minister to you and your family. If you have prayer requests, fill that out as well. And at the end of the service, you'll have an opportunity to uh, meet our pastor in the back. And um, we just want to do life with you, and I'm grateful that I get to do life with this church family. I don't think there's one like it here in the community, and I'm glad that God has allowed me to be a part of this church family. Let's pray this morning. God, I thank you for the opportunity to come to you in prayer this morning, God. Lord, we lift up this service to you, Lord God. May it be you that's honored and glorified in song and in word today, Father. And God, may we be so moved that we leave here today, God, that we would share your love in this community, in our state, and around the world. Because there are people, even in today's times, that have never heard about you. So may we be bold and passionate to go out and share Christ's love with a world that so desperately needs him. God, bless this time of baptism as we um, come to that point of our service. God, I thank you for Brady and how he has chosen to trust you and be obedient to come and be baptized, Father. So we thank you for his life and his life in you, Father. God, thank you for this time to worship. For it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. It's such a joy to be able to begin another service this week with baptism. And as we were getting ready to come into the baptistry this morning, uh, Brady McCann's dad said, Hey, when I was baptized, the water was about 90 degrees and we about burned up. Well, uh, Kevin, this week, somebody forgot to turn on the heater for the baptistry. It is freezing up here. <laughs> So we're going to do this pretty quick and uh, get on out of here. But uh, it's such a joy to be able to celebrate baptism, showing what uh, God's been doing in Brady's life. He accepted Christ earlier uh, this summer, and now he's coming to show you uh, what Jesus means to him. Brady. Brady, upon your profession of faith in Jesus Christ, I baptize you, my brother in Christ, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. Amen. Let's continue to worship together. Why don't you go ahead and stand with us and let's proclaim how faithful our God is to, to him today.
listen to the radio. And this song that we're about to sing came was coming on. And the writer of the song was speaking. And he said that the first time they ever sang this song at their church, which happened to be Hillsong in Australia, the first time they ever sang it, they read John chapter 8 before they said that, sang the song for the first time. And when you really listen to the words of these songs, it pretty much is John chapter 8. If you remember last week, who the Son sets free is free indeed. But today we're going to be talking about our Father God. And our Father, which this song says, who has chosen us, who has not forsaken us, and who He says we are is who we really are. We are not who the world says we are. We are who our Father has said we are, and that is chosen, forgiven, and loved. And He desires so much to have a relationship with us. And it is so amazing. I have proclaimed this truth in this song over and over to myself this week. And I pray that we will proclaim it now as we sing, and Amanda's going to start us off.
Psalm 113.3 says, From the rising of the sun to the place where it sits, the Lord's name is to be praised. We praise you, Father, for who you are, for what you are, for what you have done for us. Part of that blessing is the material things that you have given us. May we give joyfully. May we give sacrificially. May we give because what little bit it is cannot compare to all you have given us. In Jesus' name, amen.
That's the best-looking worship leader we've had around here in a while. And if anybody's wondering, yeah, that is my wife, so that's straight. What a blessing. If I have uh, water running out of my legs, it's just the ice that's uh, melting. I'm telling you, it's cold up there when the heater's not running in the water. But we were, the air conditioner's also not working in the baptistry area, so it kind of balanced it out. <laughs> oh, what a joyful time to be in worship and think about the Lord as our Father. We're going to talk about that today. It happens to me occasionally. I'll be um, attending an event, and someone sees my name on a name tag or a roster, and they look at me inquisitively, and then they ask, Who's your daddy? I give them my usual spiel, uh, adjusting my answer for how I think they may know my daddy. They've looked at me. They've looked at my name. They know I look like him. But mom and I have figured out through the years that we can know what part of my dad's life someone comes from by how they call him by his first name. If he's CB, by his initials, that's somebody he grew up with in Forest Hill. If it's Charlie, it's somebody from college or early years at LSUA working there. And if it's a solid Charles or Mr. Holloway, then you know it's when he was 40 or above. Well, this particular person was a, was a Charles person, so I knew where they came from, LSUA, and so I kind of tweaked my answer to, to that. But you know, when it's a person from my dad's younger years, I invariably get the statement, you look just like your daddy. And I always want to then add, did. You look just like your daddy did <laughs> 50 years ago. <laughs> but I don't, I let it go. And I know who my daddy is and, and I can't deny it. But our text today is John chapter 8, verses 37 to 47. And we're working through John's gospel. We're getting to know Jesus. We're getting to know ourselves. We're getting to know how important it is for everyone to know Jesus. And I hope that you know him today. Because if you don't, I've been praying specifically for you this week to know who your daddy is. Jesus and, his, and the Jewish leaders here in chapter 8 are still in a fierce debate Jesus has said, I am the light of the world, implying they are in darkness. He has said, you are from below, I am from above. Then, as we saw last week, he says, everyone who practiced sin is a slave to sin, implying that they were in slavery. And now in this passage today, Jesus hits them in the spiritual gut. And let's pick up the account in verses 37 and 38 of John chapter 8. I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you do what you have heard from your Father. When Jesus had told the people that anyone who sins is a slave to sin, basically telling them that they were slaves they had responded in verse 33 with, we are Abraham's descendants and we are not and never have we been a slave to anyone. Well, here Jesus responds, I know you are Abraham's descendants. And here in that, everyone knows 
you are Abraham's descendants. Everybody knows that. The Jews wore their lineage as a badge of honor. In fact, they thought lineage was all that mattered. But Jesus is going to show them that while a person's spiritual life does depend on who his daddy is, that person may be mistaken about who his daddy really is. Who's your daddy? Physically, paternity is pretty easy to determine. Most times you can tell by physical characteristics. Uh, the old timer said, wow, that boy's the spitting image of his daddy. That's how I grew up, and that's how my oldest son, Zach, is growing up. It just happened the other day. Ain't no denying that boy. Well, there's physical characteristics. There's also, though, sometimes how a child acts. Uh, for some reason, you know, that statement like father, like son, didn't come about by accident. And have you noticed sometimes it's the not-so-flattering characteristics that get passed down? But if you're still not quite sure about paternity in our day, you can't tell by the face, can't tell by the actions, you can do a paternity test. Do some swabs, take some blood, send it off to a lab, and voila, there you have it. So when it comes to your spiritual life, how do you know who your daddy is? Is there a test? Well, sure there is. And you don't even have to swab your cheeks or give any blood to figure it out. God gives us a test right here in this passage. The first test of a child of God is that a child of God does the things his father does. Now that seems pretty obvious. We certainly see that in natural born children. But look at verses 39 through 40. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do the things Abraham did. As it is, you are determined to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. Jesus has hit a nerve with the people. And these Jewish leaders have responded just as he figured they would. Well, Abraham is our father. Four Words. It was just a restatement of what Jesus had just agreed to. And you see, there was no denying the fact that Abraham was their physical father. They were all Abraham's descendants from a physical, natural sense. Every last one of them could have sent a swab after 20, off to 23andMe or Ancestry.com, and it would have come back that they were of Jewish Abrahamic lineage. But for them, the connection with Abraham went deeper than just physical, natural blood. You see, they weren't just Abraham's physical descendants. They were his spiritual descendants as well. And so they honestly felt that they had inherited their spirituality from Abraham. In fact, the common belief was that Abraham was so godly and he had stored up such a vast treasury of merit... That if his descendants would just draw upon it, they would attain righteousness. So when it came to spiritual matters, they felt that they were good because of their, what we might call, blood insurance. Get a drop of old Abe running through your veins and you've got your spiritual 
blood. You've got your spiritual ancestry. You are a child of God. You see, the Jews were depending on two things for their spiritual health, a name and tradition. And people today still try to base their spiritual life and their spiritual place on one of those two things. There are those people who try to live on a name. Uh, maybe somebody in their family uh, did something great in the church or in the state. And so they focus on who they are, that they're a, in the line of so-and-so, that they are a somebody because their ancestor was a somebody in the faith. Others try to live on tradition. Churches especially will do this of resting on the laurels of their past. And they'll say, well, we were the greatest church. And they emphasize greatest while everybody else emphasizes were. But there's far more to a spiritual relationship than name and tradition. Jesus isn't just interested in ancestry. He's interested in legacy. Ancestry is blood. Legacy is action that continues. Jesus points out that Abraham's true children are those who follow his example. Flesh and blood don't make a person a spiritual descendant of Abraham. Their moral quality, their spiritual fidelity do that. And so look again at what Jesus says in verse 39. If you were Abraham's children, then you would do the things Abraham did. As it is, you're determined to kill me. And Abraham didn't do such things. Jesus challenges, Abraham would have never done what you are doing. His physical blood may course through your veins, but his spiritual blood does not. Abraham was a friend of God. Jesus is the son of God, but they want to kill him. No one who is a friend of God would want to kill the son of God. Abraham listened to God's truth and he obeyed it, even when that word was hard to take. When it was Abraham, get up, leave your family, leave everything, everything that's stable for you, and go to a land I will show you. Even when it was hard to accept, Abraham followed God. Abraham took that word and he obeyed it and believed it. These guys are rejecting the truth. Abraham did not do such things. In fact, God commended Abraham's legacy to Abraham's son, Isaac. In Genesis 26 verses 4 through 5, we read this statement of God to Isaac. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed. It's a repetition of the Abrahamic blessing. But then he adds, because Abraham obeyed me and kept my requirements, my commands, my decrees, and my laws. Abraham was faithful. A child of God does the things his father's father does. Just as a child instinctively imitates his parents, we imitate our heavenly father. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. The only way a person can prove his kinship to God is by his conduct. Conduct doesn't save you, but it does confirm you. Matthew 7, verses 16 and following, Jesus says, By their fruit 
you will recognize them. A bad tree doesn't produce bad fruit. A good tree doesn't produce, uh, a bad fruit doesn't produce good fruit. A good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. It's by their fruit that you will know them. You come to sonship through faith in God, but you prove your sonship through actions like God. So then the question is, what does God do? Well, God does what is right and just and loving. Consider what John wrote in his epistle later on. In 1 John 3 verse 10, he says this. This is how we know who the children of God are. Ding, ding, pay attention. And who the children of the devil are. Here's how. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. So... Pretty simple there. If you do right, you love others, you're likely a child of God. If you do wrong and you don't love others, you're not likely a child of God. So the question for all of us is, do you do the things God does? Ponder that for just a moment. When, when you act, when you speak, does God come out? Are you doing the things that God does? Because Jesus told these religious leaders, you're not doing what Abraham would do, so he can't be your daddy. But you're obviously doing what some father does. Jesus' statement didn't sit well with those Jews because it indicated that Jesus felt like they had some other father other than Abraham. And so the Jews then step it up a notch in this, little in this little dialogue, and they try to sucker punch Jesus. Look at what they say at the end of verse 41 in reply to Jesus. We are not illegitimate children. Hmm. Scholars think that that first part of verse 41 was likely an attack on Jesus' own birth and character. They were saying, we are not illegitimate children like you. You know his mama was expecting already when she got married. It's interesting how people will propagate a story as something scandalous even when they don't know the whole story. Or they add elements to the story that aren't even true, but they have to add those elements to make their falsities a little more true. In fact, the Jews had spread a rumor that Jesus was the love child of Mary and a Roman soldier. And to make it even more believable, they gave a name to the Roman soldier. And so they here just slam Jesus. Well, we are not illegitimate children like you are. And then they say... Well, if you won't take Abraham as our father, we'll go to the next level. We are the children of the heavenly father. The only father we have is God himself. Okay, you won't take Abraham, we'll go to God. After all, God himself had said in Exodus 4-2, Israel is my firstborn son. In Jeremiah 31, 9, he said, I am Israel's father. So there, Jesus. But Jesus is unfazed. He simply responds in verse 42, If God were your father, you would love me. 
For I came from God and now I'm here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. And here we see the second test of a child of God, that a child of God loves the things his father loves. These guys were so hung up on where they came from, they didn't know who they were themselves. Did you know one of the greatest deterrents to a person coming to Christ can actually be their spiritual heritage? The blessing of a godly heritage is a wonderful thing. It's a great blessing, but it can also be a curse if you get hung up on it. I don't know if you've heard these kind of things, but I certainly have. Well, my family is Baptist. Well, so is Bill Clinton. What's your point? Both of my grandpas were preachers. Okay, one of mine was a carpenter, one of mine was a, a car salesman. And okay, <laughs> that makes me nothing. <laughs> my daddy was a deacon. I've known some deacons. <laughs> so was my daddy. <laughs> How about my mama was president of the WMU? I mean, right up there to heaven, right? Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord must be with you. <laughs> How about I was baptized when I was a kid? Well, you've apparently dried off since then. What has God done in your life lately? Now, I'm being overly sarcastic and facetious, and don't take that. If you're on the WMU and Deacons, I love you. <laughs> Says the chairman of deacon behind me. <laughs> we should be proud of our godly legacy. But your walk with Jesus can't be based on your family's walk with Jesus. Be proud of your godly legacy. But prove your godly legacy in your own life. The Jews were resting on the laurels of their ancestors. And if you rest on your laurels, you're going to get splinters. Y'all didn't get that, did you? <laughs> we must make sure that our own faith is real and solid. Know where you came from. Be grateful for your legacy. But know who you are yourself. A child of God loves the things his father loves. And if you don't love Jesus, you don't love the father. Later on in his first epistle, again, John writes in 1 John 5, 1, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. Do you love the things God loves? Do you love Jesus? Because, you know, God said at the baptism, This is my Son whom I love. In him I am well pleased. Do you love Jesus. When a man loves a woman, what does he do? He wants to spend time with her. He, he wants to know more about her. He wants to build her up. He wants to serve her. When you love to do something like a hobby, what do you do? You spend time doing it. You want to do more of it. You spend your money on it. And the same things are true if you love Jesus. You want to spend time with him. 
You want to know, know more about him. You want to invest in him. You want to bless him and build him up. And if you love Jesus, then you love the Father. Therefore, in loving Jesus, you confirm that you are a child of God because a child of God loves the things that God loves. But next, Jesus shows us that a child of God hears the things his Father says. Look at verses 43. Verse 43, why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. Children recognize their parents' voices. The Jewish leaders couldn't understand what Jesus was saying because they were listening to another father. They had gotten to know his voice instead of the voice of the spiritual father. And so in verse 44, Jesus goes for the jugular when he says this in verse 44. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of Lies. Man, you talk about a spiritual blow. Abraham is our father. God is our father. No, Satan is your father. That's a pow. Jesus teaches us in this two things about Satan. It's two things that they're doing. He's a murderer and he's a liar. The devil is a murderer. Now, someone may ask, well, I don't remember a story in Scripture really where he did the murder. And I don't know that story. And there's not a place where it says, and Satan killed him. You're not going to find that story. But Satan murdered everyone, including you and me. When you go back to Genesis 3, where we first meet Satan in the Garden of Eden, we find him tempting Adam and Eve to sin. And they, of course, give in to the temptation, ushering in sin and the consequences of sin. And what are the consequences of sin? Just as Romans 6.23 tells us, the wages of sin is death. If there had been no temptation, there would have been no sin. And if there had been no sin, there would be no death. So therefore, in a sense, the devil is the murderer of the whole human race. The devil murders everything, though, that is good. Honor, purity, honesty, beauty, he destroys it all. He steals our peace of mind. He destroys our happiness. He corrupts our love. Take anything God has created as good. Words, beauty, relationships, money, talent, whatever. And Satan will take that and corrupt it and turn it into something vile. As Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 8, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Satan is a murderer. The Jews wanted to kill Jesus. Satan must be their father, not Abraham. Abraham wouldn't have done that. Not God. God wouldn't have wanted to do that. The devil is a murderer. Also, Jesus shows us that the devil is a liar. From the beginning, Satan was a liar. In fact, the first words out of his mouth 
or a lie. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, God is laying out the boundaries of the life in the Garden of Eden and what um, Adam and Eve can and can't do. And he says, you can eat of any tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. In Genesis 3, 4, Satan comes to Eve. He begins his twist by saying, did God really say? If you eat from the tree, you will die. And Eve says, oh, yes, he did. In fact, she adds something to it. She says, even if we touch it, we'll die. Well, Satan says, you will not surely die. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Then, using his three tricks, the lust of the eyes, Eve saw that the fruit looked good. The lust of the flesh, and that it would be good for food, and the pride of life, and that was good for gaining wisdom. She took and she ate. Satan hooked Eve and Adam with a lie, and thus was born the father of lies. Satan is a liar. He takes anything good and he corrupts it. He takes those three tricks, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, And he turns things around and he uses those three tricks over and over and over again. Think of any temptation you've ever faced and any sin you've fallen victim to. And it will fit into one of those three categories because he has no new tricks. Because he doesn't need any new tricks. Because we keep falling victim to those. So Jesus tells these Jewish leaders, you're wanting to murder me and you're lying about me. Murders and lies. Hmm. Children do what their parents do. They love what their parents love. They hear what their parents hear. They listen to what they say. Y'all, y'all aren't getting murdering in line from Abraham and God. That stuff comes from Satan. You're listening to your daddy. I'm listening to mine. Look at verses 45 and following. Yet because I tell you the truth, you cannot believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. A child of God hears the things his father says. Do you know one of the major lies that Satan loves to put out among people? It's the same lie he used to dupe these religious leaders 2,000 years ago. Satan loves to convince you that you are a child of God when you really aren't. Your daddy was a great man of God. You must be a child of God too. Look at your legacy. You're such a good person. You do such good things. Look how much people respect you. You must be a child of God. You go to church pretty regularly. Why, you're more active in church than that guy down the street. You must be fine. And all the while, he's turned your eyes away from what it really means to be a child of God. He's put his eye, your, your eyes on yourself, or he's put your eyes on someone else, when all the time your eyes should be on Jesus. He turns us away 
so that we miss what it means to be a true child of God, doing the things God does, loving the things God loves, and hearing the things God says. Which in order to do that, you've got to have a personal relationship with God. One that's growing every day. Sometimes we're mistaken about who our real spiritual daddy is. You have that kind of personal relationship with Jesus Christ where you can do the things he does because you watch it happen every day. Where you can love the things he loves because you've spent time in God's word knowing the things he loves. Where you can hear the things he says because you've read his word and you're reading the things he says, but you've also uh, allowed your heart and your spirit to grow attuned to knowing the voice of your heavenly father when he speaks. That's the kind of relationship that means you have a true walk with Jesus. Is it a relationship that makes such a difference in your life that when people run into you, they stop what they're doing, they have an inquisitive look, and they ask, who's your daddy? Would that we all had such a walk with Christ that people could look at us and they could say, that's God's kid. He's the spitting image of his daddy. She's the spitting image of her daddy. There ain't no denying that kid. Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the way you speak to us. And I pray today for those in this room who have yet to trust you as their Lord and Savior, that today would be the day they enter into relationship with you as their Heavenly Father. Thank you, Lord, for being a good father. Call us to yourself now as our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to give you an opportunity to respond to this message. And in just a moment, we're going to sing a song that talks about the fact that God knows us. He knows our name because he, he wants to be involved with us. He wants us to be a child of God. And so if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then I invite today for you to come today and to trust him. Say, Pastor, I just want to follow Jesus with my life. I want a personal relationship with him. I want to grow as a child of God. It may be that the Lord has been laying on your heart also to come and be a part of this church family. We'd love to have you as we strive to follow the Lord and grow in Him. Uh, we're getting to, to celebrate next week my 10th anniversary as, as pastor here. And today's actually the 31st. This would have been the Sunday when, when I first started uh, this 10 years ago. And God is blessed and He's guided us. And I believe, though, He's got a lot of more good things for us to do. So we'd love for you to come be a part of what God is doing here at First Baptist. But as we stand and sing, would this be your song of testimony? and of worship, and as also of commitment.